Welcome to the Let's Talk About Talking podcast with your host, Adrian Fuller, language and communications expert for kids of all ages. On this podcast, we talk about speech, language, and all things happening with your child, giving you specific tactical information you can use to help your kids talk, listen, and thrive in their academic journey. Hello. Guys, this is Adrienne Fuller, and welcome to the Let's Talk About Talking podcast. I'm a speech-language pathologist, and the whole purpose of this podcast is to parents, is to inform parents and talk about your journey as parents from the very beginning, when they're birthed, through toddlers, all the way into the end. I like to give tactical information that you can use next day. And so I am so happy to have a special guest joining us today. Her name is Jasmine. She is a parent. And so I, my audience is parents and I wanted to have one on, on with me today. Um, We want to talk about her journey of getting her children diagnosed on the spectrum from beginning to end. She has a powerful story and I want you to hear it. So welcome, souls. Welcome, Jasmine. How are you? I'm wonderful, Adrian. Thank you so much for having me. So um, let's start at the beginning. You have two beautiful kids, one's seven, one's three. And so you're very your oldest, your boy, Carter. Mm-hmm. Can you mm-hmm. tell me about like his development and what made you think, hmm, maybe there could be an issue or what can you tell me the a little bit of the backstory? So first and foremost, when I um, have always seen childhood, um, I guess displays of autism, I never really knew what that entailed. So I always thought that it was kind of just like a child who has a lot of mental health challenges, but I never saw um, it really displayed in my family. So with Carter, um, being that he was my first child, I was a first time mom. Um, I really didn't know what to expect, but I did have some history of working with small children ages three and four. And Mm -hmm. I knew what to look for as far as like when I was doing their annual evaluations, I was actually a preschool teacher. So when I was yes, I was. Wow. Yep, I was. But I I was pretty young when I did that. I was actually like an acting lead teacher um, because the lead teacher in my school um, went out on maternity leave and never returned. So I was doing all the lead teacher things without the actual credentials, which um, (laughs) prompted me to do a lot more research, of course, because I wasn't a mom yet and I didn't know what to and what not to look for. Mm -hmm. But when I had my son, um, I kind of knew what was typical and what was atypical. And with Carter... um, He was normally developing. He was breastfed for 14 months. Um, We kept up with his vaccine schedule. We kept him really, really healthy and holistic. We made all of his baby food at home when he did start going into baby food. We were just like super, super healthy. Um, Mm -hmm. And I tried to keep him, you know, on that path. But once he turned one, he got his um, one-year-old vaccines. And when he got the one-year-old vaccines, he got really sick as all kids do. You know, they all Mm -hmm. get the fever, they all get the cough. It's kind of very typical to expect. So we gave him Tylenol, Motrin, alternating, all the things that the doctor told us to do. But after that, he was just never himself. He um, got really sick, like high fever. He had a double ear infection. um, And we thought that he wasn't responding to his name anymore because of the ear infection. We thought you must have a lot of inflammation in your ears. Mm -hmm. So as we got the inflammation down and he came back down to being more healthy, he just was not the same Carter. He wasn't looking at us. 
he wasn't trying to say his name. We just noticed that he was going back to acting like a six to nine month old almost. So we were like, oh, 100% is the vaccines. We're going to stop the vaccines, right? Mm-hmm. And we did some research. And of course, I feel like um, it's really easy to find research supporting how whatever your suspicions are. So Ooh, I feel like there's Jasmine, <laughs> whatever you, you, can just, you, you, can, Jasmine, <laughs> you can Google, is the sky ever purple? And someone will say, yes, it's purple all the time, scientifically. <laughs> I love that you said that. I'm just going to piggyback on that, guys that really resonated with me because a lot of times once I did a post called like, don't stop looking at Google, but you're Mm -hmm. absolutely all right. Whatever you want the outcome to be is what you're going to find. Love that. Keep going. Love that girl. And that's not to um, rule out that his vaccines did or did not contribute to his autism diagnosis because I ultimately don't know. I want to be very clear on that. Um, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. And I don't think that anybody has any concrete evidence. I feel like furthermore with children, there's no absolute, um, with people period, there's no absolutes because we're all so different in our bodies, Mm -hmm. neurologically, our blood, our genetics, everything is so different. So it's no way to have a concrete answer. So I did want to insert that because I don't want the assumption to be that it came from autism, but I also don't want it to be that it did, did not, or it came from the vaccines, but I also don't want it to be that it did not come from the vaccines. I don't know. But, Mm -hmm. um, Moving forward, at the time when when he was one, we were living in New York. So when he turned um, three, up until the time he was three, he was always really speech regressed. Um, He never really um, got better with the eye contact thing. He would only really make eye contact when he wanted something or um, he would only make eye contact when he wanted something or when he was trying to get my attention. He didn't really do the leading by my hand thing. But he did kind of like say one or two words to articulate what he wanted. Like if he wanted water, he would say wa, or um, he learned eventually to say wawa and then water. But he would Mm -hmm. never say, I want water, mommy, or, you know, like longer sentences. He wasn't really like blending words and putting them together. So um, that was something that we always noticed. And we would go to church and we um, like, it would be very obvious, you know, because at our church, there were other small children. And I remember our pastor was like, he's going to speak. Like, don't worry about it. He's going to speak one day. And mm-hmm. um, I would be like, okay, yeah, I think he's going to speak. But I had my own little suspicions because of what I had seen in the, working in the preschool environment. I saw some kids who were on the spectrum. I saw a lot of like things that were not um, typical. And I had to communicate that to the parents. But of course, I couldn't diagnose. But I just kind of knew what the things were to look for, like the sensory sensitivity when it came to loud sounds at church, like the drums he was fine with. And then eventually he was just clogging his ears all the time with like plugging his ears up. Um, when loud noises, like an ambulance would go by, of course it would be frightening for anybody, but with him, it would be like really, really like terrible for him. Mm-hmm. Um, also with flies and like flying objects, if there was a fly in the house to him, it sounds like I always tell people like the reason why he's so afraid of flies, because his senses are so sharp that it more so sounds like a motorcycle going past his ear than just a fly buzzing past his ear. So little things I would notice and um, I would have a lot of faith in God and be like, yeah, he's going to be fine, but I, I really need to get to the bottom of this. And I remember before we even had children, me and my husband, um, when we found out we were expecting Carter, my husband was like, you know, my biggest fear is for something to go wrong with this pregnancy or for something to be wrong with my son. The one thing that I cannot handle, and I told God this so many times, was I cannot have a child that has special needs because he had, my husband plays keys at church. And the one pastor that he played for, their daughter, um, I don't know that she was on the spectrum. I think that she may have had an MR diagnosis, 
Um, but this, he saw just how tedious it was for the parents mm -hmm. and how difficult it was just keeping her calm at, at church and just like the outbursts and things that come with um, different diagnoses. Um, she, she, she was much older. I think she was maybe in her 20s and her parents were still taking care of her. So my husband saw that example and he was just like, no, there's no way I could ever have, you know, something like that. Um, so fast forward to when we moved to L.A., we went to the regional center. Um, and we found out um, that we could get an evaluation with an actual psychologist. So we did the evaluation. I remember the he, evaluation. Oh, I'm sorry. How old was he? How old was he? Oh, he was, I think he was about like three and a half, maybe three and a okay. quarter. Okay. Yeah. He was closer to four, but I think he was definitely over three. Mm -hmm. um, so we went to go and do the evaluation. It was a little bit of a waiting process, but we went to do the evaluation. And I remember it was such a quick evaluation. It was like 30 minutes. And I think it's supposed to be more extensive. And I remember telling my husband, like, I feel like they just didn't try to see what he could do. They were just like, yep, he definitely has it. Like she put out a couple toys in front of him and looking at the, um, evaluation with my daughter, four years later compared to my son, I could see that they were not really doing everything, but maybe my son just exhibited everything that she needed to see in that time. But of course, as parents, it's like, no, he can't do it. You just have to ask him again, ask him a different mm -hmm. way. Cause like, you don't want him to get the diagnosis ultimately. Like it's so daunting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but for me, I can say I was 99.99% sure that he had autism before we even got the diagnosis. My husband, I can't speak for how sure he was, but I know that he was very much in denial. Um, of his mm -hmm. abilities and the things that he could not do. Um, so yeah, he was three and a half. He got the diagnosis and then that we went to the school. They also followed up on the um, diagnosis and they did their own evaluation and he started school the very next week when he was only three and a half. It was so much because he like took a bus to school. We had to get like school supplies. Like it was just so much at once and he was just turning three, but we had to suck it up and do it for him. Now, did you talk to your pediatrician even when he was two about your concerns? What did that look like? I did. And they always were saying, you know, everyone develops at their own rate. He'll get it. You know, he'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Just keep working with him. And I'm like an educator. So like I'm on my kids. Like we have a whole mm -hmm. Montessori out in my house, even now, like we have school everywhere. We make everything learning. Everything so I was is like, uh, <laughs> I don't think that he's just developing at his own pace. I think that he cannot do it. And he's having a hard time with it. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I remember before, I think this was, this actually might've been after he got diagnosed, but it was a little bit before Carter turned or, um, my husband was trying to potty train him and we leave the boy potty training to dad and the girl potty training to mom. So he completely took on that because he has the parts and all the things. So, um, I remember he was like telling Carter, you have to go pee on the potty. Like, why can't you do it? Daddy's been telling you this over and over again, go pee on the potty, go mm -hmm. pee on the potty. And Carter looked at him and he put his two index fingers to his temples and he like looked down and he didn't say anything. And that broke my husband. That was like the worst day of our lives. Like that, that was like a dagger in my heart. My husband storms out of the house. My sister-in-law at the, uh, at the time was staying with us, um, to help us with Carter when we first moved to LA and she stayed in the house with Carter. She, I guess, fixed his diaper or whatever. And my husband like beeline out of the house. So I went after him at this time, I was pregnant with Cadence. So no, Carter had to be a little bit before his fifth birthday. Um, yeah, a little bit before his fifth birthday because I was pregnant with, with my second. So I stormed out of the house, eight months pregnant, wobbling down the street after him. Like, babe, what's wrong? What is it? And he's, mm -hmm. he told me, he's like, 
he was pointing at his temples and it was almost like saying like, daddy, I, I don't get it. I can't do it. I can't do it right now. I can't do it. And he was like, that just broke me. And he just started yelling at God. Like, I told you I couldn't handle this. I told you I couldn't do this. This is too much for me. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, you gave me exactly what I did not want, what I did not handle. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it. And he's like, it's not that I don't want Carter. I just like, I wanted a different life for him. I wanted a different life for us. And I did not feel like I had the mental capacity to handle it. And I don't. At that time, he was just like, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, my husband was just so detached from Carter. He was, um, I, I think he did go through a grieving process, you know, of mm-hmm. what he would have loved his childhood to be like, like that father, son. And he was just, he went through a long, a long grieving process, but he was very detached at first. He would not communicate with him. And I was like, even if he can't communicate back, he still understands. He still knows what you're saying, at least some things and he knows that daddy is there, but it took a long time for my husband to grasp that concept. Now he's awesome, but it did take a while. It was a process. You know, I really appreciate you talking about the grieving process. I personally don't think we talk about it enough because every parent has dreams and goals for their their child. And it's like your heart is breaking when you're getting anything that might look like then that's not going to happen. And so I appreciate you sharing it. Is there, like, did you guys, is there something that maybe made your husband pivot that made it like okay like brought him back to full circle to being exactly that dad that he is now you know that loving caring hands-on you know back like maybe acceptance did he have to go through the stages of grieving jazz you think yes yes I think that he did probably not all the stages of grieving but he did go through some of the stages of grieving Mm -hmm. Um, because he ultimately had to realize this is not a total loss for me. Like I still have my son, Mm -hmm. um, still a blessing. He's still amazing. And I think the biggest thing though, was patience and time for me as a mom, I wanted to like shake my husband and be like, just snap out of it. Like he's he's fine. Like let's work on it. Like he, it Mm -hmm. could be so much worse. Like he could be missing all of his limbs and we're worried about Mm -hmm. his motor skills. Like we're really blessed. We have to really count our blessings. Like it's going to be okay. Um, And I think the biggest thing was just patience, time, prayer. We prayed so much. And honestly, God did it for us. Um, He just started working with Carter. Like we would pray over Carter and our prayer sometimes would be like, God, as he sleeps, like rearrange the neurons in his brain brain so that things connect for him so that he understands so that he can relate to us on an emotional level. Um, And God really just did it. He started to have Carter to progress and as Carter's understanding opened up, then my husband's understanding of Carter opened up and they just kind of like worked on it together. And they, um, my husband does have like these, like we'll have discussions and then he has these times where he has like an epiphany, like, you know what? That was like too much for me. Like, I don't even know why I was doing all that. Like I just needed to be patient, but I feel like with everyone, it just takes patience and time, understanding and prayer. That was the biggest thing for us. Patience, time, understanding, prayer. And as did you, during that time where it feels like you've got the pressure of like having a child with special needs and a partner who is having their own issues with that, how did you deal with what you were going? Like you still have your own feelings and your thoughts about it too. So how did you deal with that? I cried a lot by myself. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to, 
I felt like I needed to be strong because in the areas where my husband was weak. So I felt like I could not show my weakness. And Mm -hmm. that's something that I really had to work on because like, it's such a masculine trait for me to just feel like I need to take on everything, like not, Mm -hmm. and I I wasn't vulnerable with my husband. I didn't tell him like, yeah, this sucks for me too. I felt like Mm -hmm. I had to be the optimist out of the two because he was so pessimistic about it and he was so hopeless about it. So um, I went through my own process. I, we definitely did therapy. We did um, therapy Good. together, separate. Um, so I'm, I love therapy. I'm a big advocate for therapy, especially in the African-American community, because our community is the community that hides and tucks things away and mm-hmm. um, forgets things like the whole what happens in my house stays in my house has really been the mantra for yeah. a lot of Black families to our detriment. So mm-hmm. um, I'm really a big advocate for therapy, especially when you have a child that has special needs or really with any um, adversity, like therapy has been really, really beneficial in prayer together. Um, But together we got through it. I think that because I um, kind of already knew I was slowly preparing myself mentally and spiritually for it. Um, But my husband, I think because he was just like, no, nope, no way, no way. There's no way he's going to have any special needs. I specifically asked God for that. He's not going to do that. Um, I think that because he was kind of like that mentality, it took him a little bit longer. But for me, I was able to slowly process that because as the years went on, I knew um, in the back of my mind that that's what it was. So when you, when cadence came, mm-hmm. was the diagnosis, like, was it smoother? How did that look the yeah. second time around? So my husband and I actually talked about it again. So when, when I was pregnant, he was just like, we have to do everything differently this time. Like, so we had already stopped vaccinating. And honestly, just from our um, our own research, our personal choice is to just not vaccinate at all. We don't do it for ourselves, our kids. We just don't choose to do it. We try to take on a homeopathic rather than allopathic um, choice of um, healing ourselves. So mm-hmm. we had already for years not vaccinated um, our son. Um, I did get like the flu shot when I was pregnant with him. But like I said, after that one year, we started going crazy into the research and which is a good and bad thing. But ultimately, we talked to an Ayurvedic practitioner also, and she really helped us to feel at ease with our decision to not vaccinate. And she's been really guiding us the whole way through. Um, So with Cadence, my husband was like, I don't know if we should do an induced labor. Now, with my son, we did do an induced labor because um, we wanted to make sure that we had him before the end of the year. We didn't want to be he was due on Christmas Day. We did not want to be in the hospital all Christmas. It was such a stupid Mm -hmm. decision. Like you could have waited. Um, But we also lived a little ways away from the hospital at the time. So we wanted to make sure that we had time to get there. And this was my first go around. So I did not know how um, quick my labor would go. Mm -hmm. So we induced his labor and my husband was like, maybe we shouldn't induce. But um, we ended up moving about 50 minutes away from the hospital where um, we were going to deliver my daughter. Um, At the time of me being pregnant with my daughter, I was under a lot of stress. Like we were moving out of our house. Our lease was ending. Our landlord was a slumlord. We had a beautiful house, but he like never wanted to fix anything. So we had to like, really, um, we tried to renegotiate with like a new lease and he was like upping the rent drastically. It was just so much going on. And, um, Mm -hmm. there was like some family issues with my like parents and stuff like that. My parents had, um, been going through a divorce and even as adults, it's really hard to deal with. So we were dealing with all the residuals that came with that. So I was under a lot of stress with Cadence. My husband tried to keep me really calm and um, Mm. he just tried to make a very peaceful, he did everything that he could to just make Mm. sure that we would be okay. 
Um, and he's a great man and great father for that. I know I talk about him all the time, but that's really like, that's he my sounds, he, yes. he sounds like he's had a human mo- experience. Yes. He sounds like a wonderful person who's just having a, a human yes. experience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So um, we basically decided that we were not going to vaccinate Cadence at all, like we had decided for Carter, um, but we were going to do the induced labor. So we induced her labor. Um, she did have, the only complication was that her heart rate was dropping really, really low towards the end mm-hmm. um, because she was being choked by the umbilical cords. So with each contraction, it squeezes the head, the umbilical cord is choking them, and it's just a lot of stress for her. And I feel like that went on for a a little too long. So that was one concern that I did have. I did want to put that out in case any parents um, may have noticed some parallels there. Um, So when she came out, she was completely healthy, though. She was crying. I nursed her, literally same exact thing with Carter, nursed her for 14 months. Um, Right off the boob, they came straight into water. They don't like milk. Um, So she was really, really typically developing. Um, and we started noticing like she was doing stuff Carter was not doing, like her eye contact was better. She was singing, mm. she was dancing. She did not um, memorize things as good as Carter. Carter's superpower is he can memorize anything. You can teach him a scripture, a, like Psalms 100, and he will remember it in one day. And mm. that's a pretty long, chunky scripture. Um, but yes. he, his superpower is definitely memory. She wasn't really doing that. She was more like the artsy and creative. She loves to dance. She loves music. But we started noticing that um, she wasn't comprehending things as well. Also, she was speech delayed. We were at first um, attributing a lot of it to her mocking Carter. And that's a really difficult thing um, when you already have a child that's diagnosed with autism or any diagnosis. The younger child usually wants to pattern after the older child. And it's really hard to distinguish. Is this something that they're doing on their own? Or is this something that they're mocking from their older sibling? So for the longest, we were just like observing her, collecting data. Me and my husband were just like, oh, no, she's fine. I think like like she would have really good days. That's every kid on the spectrum. I feel like they do. Like they have really good days where they're thriving. And then they have another day and you're like, oh, they can't do it at all. Like what's happening? And it's so confusing. And like it's emotional torment sometimes because it's like, oh, I'm in the clear. No, I'm not. You know, mm-hmm. and, so we and started I, noticing that. Go ahead. I do want to say, guys, Jasmine brings up a really good point. Autism can present differently in boys than in girls. And mm-hmm. so um, in the past, we had um, Maria Van San on, and she talked about how it presented differently in girls. And mm-hmm. some of those things, like just because one child is presenting one way, like with the traditional red flags, it sounds like Cadence had those some not so familiar things like the speech delay, like the other things. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So we we started noticing her deficits and um, we were already, Carter was already in a special education program through our school district. And I try to like um, maintain very close contact with those that are in power (laughs) at the special education um, office, just because they can move and shake things however I need to. Carter already at this point had an IEP So I knew about that whole process and how it went. Um, So at two and a half, I started calling the special education director. Yes. You hear that? Two and a half. Like the earlier, the better. It might have even been 18 months, honestly. It was so Mm -hmm. early. I I, I was just calling to say, hey, um, I'm seeing this. I don't know if this is this, Mm -hmm. but I'm seeing this. And I just kept her in the loop. And she may or may not have been taking notes, but 
she's so awesome. Her name is Emily. She's so awesome. She's been a great help to my family. And she's like, well, it's still too early, you know, um, which I feel like with the school district, they may be a little misinformed because I don't feel like 18 months, two years old is too early all the time to diagnose. It's not too early. It could be too early for them. Like for our specific school district, they cannot touch, they don't touch kids until they're three. Yeah. I'm thinking maybe that's what she said, but I think you have a point guys. You can always, or listeners, you can always go privately until you can get the school district can, you know, evaluate your child, but getting them services earlier than later is always great. Yeah. And I also feel like a lot of the um, physicians don't want to overdiagnose. They rather just wait and see if the child um, develops the, the speech like that. Yeah. So we always say, just keep in mind our pediatricians, while we love them, have so many things going on. They see so many kids. If this is something like Jasmine has spoken of and you feel like there's something not right, but your pediatrician is saying it, it's okay. Maybe they're a late talker, all the things you do have to be that squeaky wheel advocate for your child. Cause you know, your child the best. Absolutely. I completely echo everything that you just said, because mm-hmm. without our children's voice, we are their voice. Like we have to say everything for them. We have to do everything for them. We have to advocate. Did y'all? Let me tell you, you're about to be the guest of the year. Without our children's voice, you have to be their boy. I love that. I love that. If there's a parent out there that feels like, I don't know, for that parent who is in that, we just got, we just got the news. We just got diagnosed. My child just got diagnosed. What's your biggest piece of advice? I would say, um, for one, if you're on the fence, get a second opinion. Um, Yes. Yeah. I'm really big on second opinions because it's almost like a confirmation kind of thing. Sometimes you just need to hear a second opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you know God pray, honestly, Mm -hmm. whatever you believe in, whatever your spiritual backing is, you have to be rooted and grounded in that because Mm -hmm. that's what's going to get you anchored. Um, also I always tell my husband this, and I used to tell him this, with our children, we don't have the luxury of being selfish and doing things that will make us feel good and make um, make the world think that we're just like, our kid is just this star, whatever. Like, we don't have that luxury. We have to alter our um, natural practices and our natural desires to what what is best for our kids. Mm-hmm. So many parents I've talked to, they don't want to put their child in a special education program because they don't want their child to be the special ed kid. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. you really do have to put your own desires aside. We did try it in kindergarten. We tried to put Carter in gen ed, right? He's now in gen ed, which is awesome. He's That's doing awesome. so amazing. Like we have such great testimonies for our kids, but we tried in kindergarten right after the pandemic to put him in a gen ed kindergarten class. I went in on day two to volunteer and he was in the corner with his ears plugged. There was so much chaos in the classroom. And I can tell that this was torture for him. And it was all because I needed my five-year-old to be in a gen ed class. I need him to be with the typical children. I need him to do typical things. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you really just have to put your own desires aside to best suit your child. And although your child has a diagnosis of autism, like it's not the end of the world. I remember um, mm-hmm. one of my clients is Stevie Wonder. And I was talking to him and he was like, Um, telling me his testimony about how his mom wanted him to see so badly when he was a child. She would take him to everybody. And one day um, she, she talked to him and she was like, 
you know, she was crying and he heard her crying. He was like, mom, you know, what's going on? She was like, I just really, really wanted you to see. Now, fast forward to all these years, um, she was taking the pastors, prophets, everybody just to like lay their hands on him. Like, mm-hmm. I want you to see, because that's what she wanted as a mom. She saw that as a disability. Fast forward, we all know Stevie Wonder to be Stevie Wonder because of his lack of ability to see, which mm-hmm. I feel heightens everything. That makes yes. um, all of his musical ability even more fascinating, all the things that mm-hmm. he can do more fascinating. And he's such a very well-functioning person in society. He's loved by so many. He's so personable. Um, he's humorous. Like, he's a cool dude. And he told me, basically, um, a lot of times, because I was telling him about the story with my husband, he was like, a lot of times God will give you exactly what you don't want just to make a wonder out of it, just to show the mm-hmm. world that something wonderful can come from this. Um, of course, like, if he was to make a doctor out of a child that is neurotypical, it's like, oh, that's awesome. You were educated. But imagine him making a doctor out of someone on the spectrum who does not know social cues, who, you know, really regressed when it comes to a lot of things educationally. That's more miraculous to show God that, or to show people how awesome God is. Mm -hmm. So I just take everything that could be negative and say, like, this is going to work out for our good. Like, this is going to be a testimony for us. Um, And I think that that's what I really take solace in knowing that God has the ultimate plan, even when we can't see it, like we're already seeing all the good things that have come from this diagnosis. One thing that I love is that we have an IEP and with an IEP, like I sometimes wish that kids that did not have a diagnosis can have an IEP because there's so much that I can advocate for my kids for. There's so Mm -hmm. much that I can tailor to my child's individual way of learning. It's been such a blessing to us. And fast forward to when Cadence got her diagnosis, the IEP has been a blessing for her too. We've been able to talk to her teachers and change the um, working environment, um, the education environment for them that just really suits them best. They're seating in class. Mm -hmm. There's so many good benefits that come from it. And um, although you do have to grieve the things that um, are not going to be the the atypical things in life that come with the diagnosis, there's so much more beautiful Mm -hmm. things that come from it. Um, and God trusted you with a really big thing. And that is a blessing. That is a blessing. Wow. Wow. I couldn't have said it better myself. I just want to say, um, a few things. Uh, Jasmine says an IEP is a blessing and she is 100% correct. But to me, it's only a blessing if you as a parent are working that IEP and being at those meetings, being very present at your child's school and requesting and advocating for them. That's a huge word that you'll hear from me all the time is advocating. Um, and so, wow. I mean, guys, I, I, we, we, we're on Zoom right now. Like, so I'm going to rip the audio. It's like, just, I've not ever, I've not met a mom so peaceful, so beautiful, but it's more like your physical beauty. It's like your inner beauty is amazing. It exudes. And so I just want to say thank you so much. And I hope that this message will find itself to any parent that needs to hear it and be encouraged. I always want my podcast to be a platform where people that believe anything can come speak. So uh, Jasmine said it before, she's chosen not to vaccinate. Um, And I believe all parents have a choice and we thoroughly encourage you to make the choice that's best for your family. You will always hear that theme in all of our podcast episodes. Um, Jasmine, what a beautiful story and what a blessing you've been um, to me today. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to speak with me. Where can everyone find you guys? And first, I just want to just do a little plug. Um, Jasmine is like 
an artist when it comes to beauty and hair and all things. <laughs> and like her child has um, her little girl, her adorable girl was having some issues like with her hair in the back. And mm-hmm. so she made this, like, she's got this brand of hair and she put it in and it looks so natural and so cute. And so <laughs> where can the people find you? Yes. So you're referring to Cadence's viral sewing video on my three-year-old. Um, <laughs> she was um, pulling out her hair. Like that was her sensory um, behavior when she was young. So um, my Instagram is all that jazz glam. It's just at all that jazz glam spelled just how it sounds. And then my TikTok is all that jazz glam ink, like incorporated. Um, you can find me on both of those. My website is all that jazz glam.com where you can find my beautiful hair extensions that I installed on my daughter and that I wear for myself. Um, and I try to stay really active. So definitely follow me on there. And I have to say, Adrian, I follow you on Instagram. Your cousin put me onto your Instagram a little while ago and I've been using your practices on my kids too. So thank you. I'm a big fan. Sometimes <laughs> you know you never know if people are watching. And um I really appreciate you saying that. But this has been a really great a great half hour. I was I could talk to you all day. I'm like I'm like fanning right now. I'm like I love her. So I thank love you, you so, I know thank you so much Jasmine everyone thank you so much for joining me and until next time you guys be well happy communicating i love you so much bye thank you bye you've been listening to the let's talk about talking podcast with your host adrian fuller language and communications expert for kids of all ages you can grab adrian's book 30 days to get your toddler talking on amazon or at speechbuilders.org